I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Frank Film Club, the club for lovers and makers of film. I'm Maisie Williams. I am an actor and producer. I'm Lowry Roberts and I'm a filmmaker and producer. Hello, I'm Hannah Williams and I am a casting director. And welcome to our club take one hello everybody welcome back to frank film club i'm lowry this episode we're going to be talking about save the last dance which was directed by thomas carter written by cheryl edwards Dwayne adler and starring julia styles sean patrick thomas kerry washington and bianca lawson but before we get into everything girls how are you what have i been up to i had covid Boo. Oh no. It finally got you. I had COVID. Mm. Yeah, finally got me. And it was weird because when I, I got my positive test, I was like weirdly like, oh my God, how exciting. I've got it. <laughs> yeah. And then I felt awful and it was not so exciting, but it's done now and it means I won't get it for at least another six weeks or whatever. So. <laughs> you'll catch me on the town um what about you Han what have you been up to no covid I had a horrible cold boring but then um I've just been spending loads of time out of the house the last couple of weeks like we've had stuff on every night theater shows talks classes stuff going on and now I've I've forgotten what my boyfriend looks like but it's been really nice (laughs) love that that's so good yeah. Make it up for lost time. Yeah, the world is is officially open, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been loving it. And you've been doing the same, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, it's been busy. Been out and about. I'm currently in London town. Went to a wedding last weekend where I did a bit of hula hooping on the dance floor. It was great. Now I've got a hula hoop. Well, you stole it and took it home. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. Yeah, hilarious. Who knew that it's such a workout? <laughs> Well, let's get to it. (laughs) So, quick overview on Save the Last Dance if you haven't seen it. It was released in 2001 and it follows the story of Sarah, played by Julia Stiles, a white girl who moves to Chicago to live with her father after her mother dies in a car accident. Whilst there, Sarah, previously a ballet dancer, quickly finds herself as an outcast in the all-black school that she attends, where she ends up falling for Derek, played by Sean Patrick Thomas, and becomes fast friends with his sister, Chanel, played by Kerry Washington. Derek then helps her to reignite her love for dancing following the death of her mother. And she eventually gets into Juilliard, which is an excellent happy ending to the film. You've probably seen this film before, but on this watch, what were your initial thoughts? What a one to return to. I feel like I watched this film so many times. I was really into dance films when I was younger um, and I would watch them on repeat and this was one of them. It was just really interesting to revisit a film that is just so obviously like late 90s, early noughties. The structure, the tone, the acting, um, 
was yeah just so indicative of that time I feel and it was really um soothing to watch but yeah very different this time yeah again this film is like part of my origin story but however the question is what did I think this time actually I think that it's like not a great film (laughs) and but it's fine because it was really enjoyable and I got a lot from it and we'll we'll dive into it but really if I watch this film for the first time now I would think that it's not a very good movie I obviously thought I had seen this film before because everyone has and I've heard about it so much but then on watching it realised that I don't think I have seen this film before. Oh. I think I just thought that I had, and then I was like, I actually have no recollection of any of these scenes. Because I wasn't remembering any of the scenes, it wasn't, like, bringing back fond memories or anything, so I was seeing it completely with, like, a fresh mind and was a bit, like, ooh, uh, questionable at times. I'd say the only thing that felt nostalgic is, like, listening to the soundtrack... Because a lot of the songs, I definitely already knew a lot of of those songs. And so I'm very excited that we're going to be talking with a soundtrack producer later on in the episode. Yeah, me too. I think that the soundtrack was the strongest part of this. And that was the bit that I found really nostalgic. So yeah, thrilled to be chatting with him because I think it's such an integral part of this movie. So do you guys remember when you did first watch the film? And what was that experience like? Yeah, I was so I was obsessed with dance films as well and I was watching Step Up to the Streets and that was the first one that I had chosen myself to watch. And then my sister's like, you know there's like a Step Up one. And I was like, what? And so watched that and then Step Up 3D came out. Um, and then I was with my best friend and she said, you love dancing films so much and you've never seen Save the Last Dance. And I was like, mm, no, like put it on asap pronto and it was amazing and we sat there and we watched save the last dance and yeah it was very very fond memories so that was my first viewing i was gonna say right so so maybe not for you lowry but for you Maze, when so because you like dance films i love dance films as well step up classic honey jessica alba classy yes then this film i was trying to remember when i was watching it this time did i think at the time when i was younger God, she's a good dancer. Like, oh, like God, this is great. Like, what did I think? And can you remember what you thought? I think I definitely felt it was very jarring to see someone who was a ballerina do street dancing because I'd only really watched street dancing films up until that point. But I felt like it was intentional. Whereas now, even watching her big comeback performance, her last dance, um... I felt even the bits that were supposed to be uh, a good comeback, I still found to be a little bit embarrassing to watch this time around. What about you, Han? I remember at the time thinking, wow, how amazing to see these two worlds collide. But now I think because maybe we have so much diversity and like it's not a Thing too much for it to be like that and like this isn't a it, it just seemed a bit contrived and um strange actually because i was thinking about the casting of this film when i was watching it like the step up films i feel like they cast a lot of dancers and then this she's not a dancer i don't know you tell me Lowry. 
she got cast from this when Thomas Carter, the director, saw her her dancing scene in 10 Things I Hate About You. You know, when she's like drunkly dancing on the table, she recalls him seeing it and going, ooh, you have rhythm. <laughs> it's a good scene. I love that scene. I don't think she did have a ballet background or anything. And I think a lot of ballet people did kick off about that because they were like, she's not a ballet dancer. But it's also like, but yeah, she is an actor. You have to have an actor for it as well. I wonder how much training she had. I also wonder, I was trying to see where the cuts were to see if who if it was her on certain parts. Same. I feel like she did a lot, a lot, a lot of it herself. I did see somewhere that she did like a load of training for it. And then even while they were shooting, one, she was underage, but two, she was like very straight laced and everyone would go out and have loads of fun and go to all these dancing clubs and like the choreographer and like all of the cast and they'd like go out and she would always not. And even like to this day, she like has FOMO basically that she never, that she like was so hard on herself and was like training so hard to like do the do all the dancing kind of true to the character though like if they're all out having an absolute rave and she's yeah being her character yeah it worked oh so who who was your favorite character great question carrie washington (sighs) yeah do you agree chenille I think it's got to be just from from the work, like from the moment she first goes on screen, you just can't stop watching her. She's really, really good in this. How much? Well, what has she done before? She'd done one film before, which was called. <gasps> that is mad. Lanisha is our song, and she was actually working as a substitute teacher at the time. So she was twenty two when they started shooting Save the Last Dance. She'd done one film before, so she took off time from her sub teacher job shot Save the Last Dance and went back to being a substitute teacher so that uh, but she does say that Save the Last Dance was like the the kickoff for her career then when you're watching it like even now she does just shine in it and so I love that this is one of the early things because yeah she's incredible in it you know what I kind of just wish that she was in it more and it was more about her because I just I loved her character and her character's like arc I think that could have been more of a main thing I hear that she spent a bit of time where after she got cast with young mums to do some research for the role she definitely pulled the she definitely pulled the story in like the best way yeah she was absolutely brilliant in it so this was directed by a black director one of the writers was is white one of the writers is black however do you still think it has quite a white gaze perspective well i wonder if this film if they create like created this this world in black culture and then thought what can we do to make this um sellable marketable and then they centered it around a white character because everything else is is not white um and actually, those are the parts of the film that I find so interesting. And I wonder if they did do that. I don't know, but I, I just felt like when watching it, I was like, I think this is a sign of the times that it's a kind of a bit of a white hero story. Kerry Washington's character is so brilliant in it. And it's also Bianca Lawson's as well, um, Derek's ex-girlfriend, who don't, and neither of them get that much of a look in. 
it does the story does bring up a lot of important topics but then at the end of the day it still works out in julia styles's favor so as much as these topics are brought up it's still i think it's still quite like white gazy which is probably like producers and financing and how the film industry is and was yeah maybe it's just what they had to do in order for it to get made the the hoops they had to jump through but you know even doing something like this and being able to tell all of these other stories through it was like progressive you know of that time even though we look at it now and think that it's problematic like I think then even like having a like a, a, a chick flick teen film with uh like an interracial couple I don't know that I had I've I've seen anything like that when I was that age that's true of the time it's still progressive but it does make you think when you watch it back now just how far I hope that we have come and um yeah that there is a tinge in there that you do feel a little bit uneasy I suppose yeah because I was listening to a podcast that was saying about how Derek's character he really doesn't code switch so like so when he's speaking to his friends he speaks exactly the same as he would to uh, like the teacher and Julia and like speaks very differently to how his friend speaks and and they were like it it they were saying about how it's almost as if they kind of had to make him a bit more of a an appropriate character for the white audiences so that it was like okay for the for Julia to be with which was like oh yeah I, like, I hadn't realized that when watching it but looking back so like, that's a very valid point yeah to make that whole relationship I don't know more palatable or something yeah that is a bit gross yeah that's true it does feel a little bit confusing I suppose that he is friends with those boys and that he would change so radically from them yeah in the way that he speaks like he wouldn't quite use the same kind of slang that he does that all of his friends do in that group and like surely he would actually if that's who he's who he's grown up with and his sister is even a bit more like that and like when I think, I don't know, what did it inspire in you as like a young white girl? Like what did it make you feel when you were a kid? It made me want to dance. I think when I was younger, I was really obsessed with like American and like black culture because we didn't really have too much in British film and tv it, there wasn't enough and then when you watch something like this it just felt like such a different world and around the time this film came out it was 21 years ago so I would have been 12 11 anyway I was just getting into like music that was a bit more cool probably not as cool as this but by the time I had watched it repeatedly up until the age of probably 13 this was like the type of music that I was getting into. Um, so what it inspired me was that I wanted to dance and follow my dreams, but also that I really wanted to know more about this world, which just felt so different from yeah what I was experiencing in the UK, but also in British mm. films and TV. Yeah, I have to agree. I felt like I want to chase my dreams and anything is possible. But like when you actually look at that, and the way that that comes across in this film, it's like she doesn't go to Juilliard and she goes to this school. You know, it's anything but where she wants to be. And then she like 
finally gets to go to Juilliard and like I don't know I just feel like a uh like a young like a girl our age who was black who watched this would be like what like what is this mean for me that's so true because she yeah that's kind of like <laughs> it's kind of like played out as her downfall in a way that she gets sent there and that she's having to like get out and all of her friends are like, "Oh, what does that mean for all of the friends that she's made there? That's so true. That's yeah. Even though there's all this representation, like you, when you're watching it, you're, there's no inspiring kind of like message, you know. I feel like if it was made today, there'd be a lot of things that would be changed, but she probably would not want to go to this like stuffy institution in the end. Like she would have seen some other parts of society and would have thought, you know what, this is not for me. I don't want to go to this place with a um, stuck up man judging my every move. So she does her dance and she goes to the contemporary bit. Um, And I just thought that um, when Derek comes up on stage and goes like, no, like you can do this, like, you can do it he basically says like forget about him do it for me like I'm the only person in this room that's watching you and I was in my head I was like do it for yourself and then like as I said that in my head he was like do it for me and I was like "Eh, eh, 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 no (laughs) that is so weird that you say that because when Warren was dipping in and out was that last like last bit which is obviously the most important bit for you to watch if you've not seen it like out of context you know just that on his own. And he was going, I bet you I can tell you what they're going to say next. And like, he was saying like, you can do it. Wait. And he was, he knew what they were going to say every time. But do it for me is like, yeah, much more um, of the time. I didn't even pick up on that. I feel like disappointed with myself for not picking up on that. It was just so funny. Oh, yeah. It's just like the perfect thing. Just do it like I'm the only person in this room. <laughs> can I ask a question I think I missed and obviously missed the several other times that I've watched it why does he start teaching her how to dance I was just about to say that I also missed this and was like why what's his interest there I didn't ask myself that question at the time but I'm trying to trace like the conversation where she where she expresses that she needs to like dance differently or where he expresses that she needs to dance differently but it just ends up happening yeah because they're like in the club it's like obvious that she can't dance and then he walks her home and then they're like should we hook up sometime he says which i was like oh <laughs> and then they just met up and started dancing and i was like that was random it feels so formal as well he like hires a space and you know i i don't i don't know yeah, a, they wanted their dirty dancing, tickly armpit scene. <laughs> no, I just have such fond memories of this film. And like, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. But like, when I'm actually unpacking it, I'm like, there's just too many. I can't keep defending it. <laughs> but I have to say, all of these things, like there were a lot of things I was like, ooh, oh God, uh, uh, a lot of the way through. However, it was... It was an easy watch, maybe massively because of the soundtrack. Also because of Kerry Washington, I think was just brilliant. Um, 
like it was still an enjoyable watch but maybe that's because they know all the techniques and they're just pulling us in hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, it's time for In, In the, the Club. club. Welcome back. It's time for our In the Club part of Frank Film Club, um, where we have a special guest. This week, we've got Mitchell Lieb, who was a 45-year music industry veteran. He enjoyed a 30-year-plus career at Disney Studios, where he oversaw the music and soundtrack production for many films, including Pirates of the Caribbean, the live-action Lion King... I have looked at your IMDb page and I swear you've worked on all of the films that I watched when I was growing up. I reference, I'm kind of embarrassed about it, Princess Diaries all the time. You worked on both of those. Parent Trap, Zoolander, Freaky Friday, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on here today. Oh, it's, listen, it's fantastic to be with you all. And uh, I love talking about movies and I love talking about music and films and I've been doing it my my whole life. Well, I feel like it would be so nice to dive into like your process and how it works. You come onto a film like Save the Last Dance and like, how do you start selecting songs? Is it the same formula every time? Or like, how did that kind of, there's so many killer records on it. So yeah, how, how does that work for you? You know, it's never the same process. When I when I finally saw Save the Last Dance, it was at a pretty, uh, you know, I'll say it was at an advanced stage in the, in the sense that it had been shot. They were planning on doing reshoots. And, you know, at that stage in a movie, you kind of see what works and you see what doesn't work. And there was a music supervisor on the film that was still kind of coming from a place of we've got to make it cooler and, uh, and we should be doing all new songs. And I looked at it really from a perspective of what works and what doesn't work. And like, and my, who cares that it was, we're talking about a compilation and more importantly, you're talking about playability of the movie. First, the movie's got to work. Then you produce, you produce with playability in mind you produce with marketing in mind, and you produce with monetization of the assets in mind. So for me, I dove in, I looked at that, in this case, on that kind of picture, which isn't one I music supervised, it's one I produced the soundtrack to. I came in and funded the sound, I put up a million dollars to fund the soundtrack and kind of took the thing over and said, first let's look at what's working. 
Montel's song works, this works here, this works here, this works here. This isn't very good, this isn't very good, this isn't very good, this isn't very good, and I need some singles. I need to create some songs and some tracks with some popular artists that are exclusive to my soundtrack. You know, when you're a record producer or a label, you know, you're creating original songs and signing artists and making videos. You have no idea if anybody's gonna play them. Like that's the whole game. That's the whole game. How do I get it on radio? Who do I have to pay to get it on radio? At least to get it out there to see if the fans really respond to it. But you got to get it added to the playlist to begin with. So now all of a sudden I'm like the king. I got MTV and like I cut that track with Casey and JoJo and I did the. I, I took Fredro Star from the movie, who walked into my office and said, "I have this idea for a song where he had sampled Cindy Lauper's True Colors and it was this beautiful thing about the colors of life and the rainbows of life and it's an interracial love story and I'm like, oh my god, this is like fucking perfect and we got Jill Scott to kind of guest on it and so. That, that was really my process on this particular film. Seeing a film that's almost done and they're still willing to change it, it makes it really, probably not a good choice of word when I say easy, but it certainly makes it easier to know, to know, you know, know what works and what doesn't work. And so that was really my kind of process on that particular film. I've, well, I feel like when I've been looking at reviews of this film, uh, since having rewatched it, everyone says that it's like the best soundtrack and everyone talks about the soundtrack. And like, so was it, is that always the process that you'll come in at that kind of late stage and they'll have a load of songs chosen and then you're, you're kind of like finalizing or swapping a few in. And then, yeah, because I feel like a lot of people don't fully understand what a soundtrack producer does, like myself included. Uh, on, on like such big scale, scale movies like that? Um, you know, look, I, I've been very fortunate to play many of the different critical roles that goes into creating music for movies. Um, from a music supervisor standpoint, which is the one who gets in from the very beginning with the director and looks at every musical moment in the movie. From a soundtrack producer's standpoint, there is no um, set entry point. So the first thing is the mentality of a soundtrack producer is ultimately twofold. Number one, it's creative. Number two, it's monetizing the music asset. Anybody who's gonna be working on a film as a soundtrack producer or certainly a label executive is going to be secretly thinking about down the line and how am I gonna sell soundtracks. The music supervisor is only thinking about how am I gonna support my filmmakers in making this movie. So I'm one of those that's thinking about it all. Certainly if you're putting musical performance numbers on camera, or dance numbers on camera, those musical moments tend to um, um, sink in more to the audience and they carry them with them and they become more critically important to the play of the film, which then relates to having that much more of a bond to the music and that relates to wanting to buy that compilation that much more. The, the, the soundtrack producer may still enter a project at the very beginning, depending on what needs to be created to facilitate the filming, okay? 
um, or they may come in at a stage where kind of the movie's done and they're really looking to figure out, okay, now, now how are we going to create songs and drop them into this movie that's already filmed? And then they may even come on later and down the line, like some movies that I've entered where I'm the financer, I'm coming in with the soundtrack money and this layer of music marketing that's going to complement the overall film marketing campaign. And because of my experience as a music supervisor as well, I think the projects that I got involved with always benefited from that amount of experience as well, as opposed to just a soundtrack producer who ha doesn't have that experience and, and is being more tossed around with the, with the stream of, of what everybody's ambitions are for the movie and is just only singularly trying to put together a record or produce one song or something like that. Let's talk about budget. Um, we're really interested in how you work with budget and yeah, how much of your creative freedom is subject to that budget. The film studio head of music is sitting there with a budget and being beaten on by the creative execs and the producers and the head of the studio because all of the all of the departments are over budget. You know how it works. They budget a film, they, they're working off the script, they're starting moving into production and it's like, Visual effects is over, casting's over, music's over, <laughs> everything's over. And so when I come in from the outside as a record company with a big checkbook, that head of music is thinking, oh, fucking great. I get Mitch to come in. He puts up a million bucks. You know, I spent fucking $2 million on Zoolander. Okay, like, so, so that head of music is like, oh, bitchin', Mitch is stepping up. I'll, I'll be able to complement my music budget with his million or two million. I'll take any of the mu I'll take any of the budget that I have for songs and I'll put it back into score so I can hire Hans Zimmer or James Newton Howard or Elfman or whoever and I'll make Mitch pay for everything related to so all this is like godsend. You know, but the money that I'm spending, I do sit back and say, okay, well, what do I want to pay for Save the Last Dance? Well, how many records do I think I can sell? Um yeah, so budgets, budgets are, um, that's how I uh, approach budgets. If I'm the head of music, I usually tried to budget appropriately for what I needed. I always went over budget, but you know, as president of music, I got to approve my own overages. I didn't really necessarily have to go ask for it anymore. They would find out about it later and call me up and go, holy shit, you spent a million dollars more? You went over a million? I'm like, yeah, this is why. And, um... Of the many um, pictures that you have on your uh, credits, um, why was Save the Last Dance such a fun project for you to work on? What set it apart? You know, Maisie, everything's about time and place. You know, the moment. It was, a, it was, it was an important time in my life. I was really trying to prove something. It was just kind of a critical time for me and... You know, it basically was a number one record. And, um, you know, I think I sold 250,000 soundtracks the first week. I think it went on to do close to 4 million, which, you know, for Disney, for that record company was huge. And um, I also, I loved the experience. It, it just, um, you know, I also love being the outlier. I love the fact that everybody in town, and I'm telling you, 
every record company in town had passed on Save the Last Dance. You know, some of my Disney education, for me, that which makes something not so cool is oftentimes what makes it broadly commercial. I looked at the trailer and said, I'm in, and then went off and had a huge success with it. I love that. That's more important. Everybody expects me to have a giant, you know, I'm getting Kendrick Lamar for Black Panther. Everybody expects that to be gigantic. You know, I'm getting John Legend and Ariana Grande for Beauty and the Beast. Everybody expects that to be huge. You're just trying to keep up with it. Yeah, so I think that's why Save the Last Dance really, um, Maisie, meant, meant so much to me and still to this day. It's just one of those, my favorite projects. Some of my favorite projects that I've ever worked on that really in my heart are, are some of my favorites are some of the smallest films. You know, they're not, they're, not the, they're not the big ones. The big ones, stress, expectation, um, the little ones, you just, you want to be that little train that can. And I love that because I'm, I'm an outlier personality, you know, given that I shared my story about not taking a traditional path to get to where I've gotten in life, you know. Well, I guess on that, to, to wrap up, for people who would love to get into the music side of the film industry and like aspire to be a music supervisor or a, a soundtrack producer, what would be your top tip for them? Uh, be inventive. You know, you have to create opportunities where there are none. It, I, I think the wonderful thing about what's going on in our industry right now is with streaming, the, the, there is such a demand and need for so much more content than ever before. The movie business that I grew up in was an extremely exclusive business where there were only so many movies a year. There's only so many weeks, only so many weekends, only so many premiere weekends. Um, is the business that I really came up in. And putting aside the fact that so much of that content is faceless, I think what it does do is create a ton of opportunity for everybody, music supervisors, editors, casting people. So the, for the person who wants to get into music super, supervising and doesn't know anybody and, and can't, you know, look, I mean, I always say take 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 that route of, you know, if you're in college and you're into it or you're out or, you know, go find the indie filmmaker, go find the student filmmaker. You know, the, I would always encourage the person who's trying to get in, don't, don't get too caught up in the size and the scale of what you're doing. Go refine your craft, go get some experience, get in there. And, and that little nobody filmmaker who's doing the student film today is going to be hired by Netflix to do a movie tomorrow. And what you want to do is get in, the, get in the stream with those people, get in the stream with that director, get in the stream with those producers. They're going to be the producers of tomorrow um, uh, in, the, in the biggest of ways because that's, where, that's what all of that business is looking for. They're looking for those student filmmakers. They're looking for those shining you know, diamonds in the rough. And I think that the music supervisor... Who wants to get into that should really kind of do the same, do the same thing. If, if you're not tough skinned and you're really not going to live and die for it and be willing to work 24 seven for it, maybe you should be thinking about something else, but you got to throw yourself in a hundred percent. You got to really chase it and all of your strategy and focus needs to be on that. But I, I would say start, I would say for anybody with ambition, who's just trying to get into it, start small and, um, and, and learn and learn well 
Thank you so much, Mitchell. Mitchell, it's been so great to chat with you. So good. Uh, you are welcome. I feel like I've learned a lot about how it all works. And um, it's just so nice that we're all so passionate about what we do. You're so right. You have to find what that is. And um, it's just such a joy to meet somebody who's had the career that you've had and still be so passionate about something you did 21 years ago. Like, I hope for me in my career, I'm going to have the same experience. What a chat. Absolutely. So interesting to chat with someone with this much experience in the industry and have learned so much about soundtrack producing. Yeah, and it's so nice to hear somebody who is so big in the game and has so much experience speak so passionately about what they do. Um, I learned loads. Yeah, same. So, what were your final thoughts on the film? Well, I think it was really good to break this movie down with you guys. I think that I said at the beginning of this episode that if I watch it now, I think it was a bad film. But I feel like that came off a little bit harsh. I think that like there's things that would be done differently. But of the time, I do think that it was special. And it's part of my origin story. So can't be that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. It is an absolute classic. I'm really glad I rewatch it again. I really don't think I would have watched it again ever in my life unless I was directed to do so by Lowry Roberts this week. <laughs> so thanks for that. I'm really glad I watched it with my boyfriend as well, just to see his face <laughs> cringing over the dancing. And yeah, I think there's things that don't hold up very great today um, in our standards, but uh, it is classic and I like it. Yeah, I agree with all of those comments. And I think uh, to add to those... I think it is useful to watch a film like this that is that does have its problems because it's then great to know that we are learning. Yeah, and I also really appreciated, Hannah said, it shows how far we've come. And it's like not very often that we say that because we always, you know, acknowledge how far we've still got to go. And I think when you watch a movie like this, you're like, actually, we have, we've done, we've done a bit in 20 years. And I think, yeah sometimes good to see that um well there's obviously a lot of problems with this film but there's no denying that it did have a good a positive impact at the time yeah and like so many people saw it I, it was a oh anyone guesses on the budget oh five five four five 20 13 million dollars wow and any guesses on the how it did in box office worldwide i do know this one so i'm not gonna say that Hannah. oh say no say it i didn't mean to um um oh i'm not good with numbers girls i don't know yeah to be honest i didn't i wouldn't usually know but it was nearly 10 times the budget so it was 122 million dollars cool which is which actually this is something maybe I need to be doing more research on because I don't know how that compares to other things. People, like, so many films barely make back what they spent. That is unreal. That's why we got a step up to the streets and a step up 3D and a step up 4 and then a step up spin-off TV show. <laughs> it's because of that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, then make sure you give us a 
five-star rating on wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts because it really, really helps us. Next week, we're going to be watching the incredible film Censor, which is directed by Prano Bailey Bond, and it came out in 2021 and is available to watch on Mubi right now and also on Amazon. So make sure you go and have a watch of that and then meet us back here next week for more Frank Film Club. I also wanted to give a little message to anyone who is listening from London or near London. We are lucky enough to be doing some in-person events very, very soon in the city. And if you want to be in with a shot of being there, then make sure you send us an email saying, I want to be there to filmclub at rap.world. And you can also message us on Instagram, which is at Frank Film Club. Um, and you can be in with a shot of uh, joining us for our live episode. So give us a message if you're in or near London and then we'll see you next week for Censor and for more Frank Film Club. Bye-bye. This podcast was presented by Wrapped. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.